G'day everybody and welcome to another episode of Let's Do Another Take. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Finbar O'Hanlon. Finbar, I've known about for many, many years. Whenever I, I used to see him play all the time, um, as a, he's just a phenomenal guitarist, but he moved to America and he's now a futurist and an and innovator and a technological uh, whiz, as well as an amazing musician. And we spoke about so many fascinating topics. Um, I'm sure you'll find this really fascinating. So please sit back and relax and enjoy my chat with the amazing Finbar. Matt, I'd like to start by asking you, what's the first record you ever owned? Um, first record I ever owned was Kiss Alive 2. Nice. And it was... Awesome, and I stuck it on my wall. You know, in the in the, when they used to come in plastic sleeves, I, I in the old days I used sticky tape, and my mum freaked out because I was like stuck sticky tape over the wallpaper back then. And it was oh like, no! And I had the kiss picture with on the back cover with Gene Simmons with all the blood coming out of his mouth. That was like that was yeah. hardcore, and it was it was so good. It I used was. to love that photo. Yeah, it's kind of amazing looking back at Kiss because at the time they were so dangerous. Mm. And now it's just kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hilarious, kind of yeah. theatre rock, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so did that album light a fire in you to learn guitar? Is that what the catalyst was for you? Um, not really. It was what lit a catalyst for guitar for me was that um, I was so bad at school and I just... Mum and dad just had no idea what to do with me. Um, back in the old days, there wasn't a, such a thing as ADHD. I'm showing my age. It was, they used to call me hyperactive. Mm. And unfortunately, I was in a Christian mm. school and I used to, I wasn't bad. I used to just ask a lot of questions about religion they couldn't answer and they thought I was being insolent. So I was always getting in trouble. Mm. And um, mm. um, so I, one day I saw, at, I remember I was at Manly Vale, uh, no, at Warringah Mall um, in, in, in DY, I think it was. And when yeah. we were living in Manly and um, I saw this th this guitar and I was like, mum, can you buy me that? I was about 10. She was like, what do you want that for? And I'm like, oh, that's what I want to do. So I just, what I, what I found as I've got older was it was, that was a point in my life where I figured out that something that I, I, I couldn't understand at the time was I'm really don't get any interest in things where people compete against each other. I'm not into sport. I'm not into competitions. I'm not, even if someone asked me to play a game of pool, I'm just not interested, but I love competing wow. against myself. So the guitar was wow. this thing I could take into a room and mm. challenge myself all the time. Um, and I never used to understand why I didn't like soccer or playing with people. And so the guitar was mm. this thing and I could just sit in my room and close the door and no one could bother me and I could get lost in a world of puzzles and notes and fingers mm. and mm. trying to decipher this incredible language that I had no idea what I was doing and hearing notes. Mm. And so to me, that was, it wasn't so much listening to a band. It was this, this entanglement of, of mystery um, and me mm. putting things together. And it was sort of like a Rubik's cube where I play my finger here and here and Back then, I didn't have a guitar teacher or anything like that. It was just, you know, mm. there was, wasn't was really any tab books. It was just, you know, my dad showed me one chord, I think it was. And, yeah, I don't know. Mm. And I just really enjoyed that challenge, really. Mm. 
I love that you said it was an entanglement of mystery. Mm. Do you still feel that you're entangled in that mystery, even though you know so much about music now? Well, that is such an amazing, amazing question because, and it's like, mm. it gives me goosebumps because it's really fascinating. You know, like I'm over 50 now and, and I always on purpose look for mystery and look and look to challenge my own thinking and look to mm. unlearn. And so the reason I'm playing the war guitar, which, you know, there's probably 20 people in the world that can play it, is because mm. it's a mystery again. It's brand new and mm. no one really knows how, well, there are a few people that know how to play it, but, and it's so complicated, but it's so beautiful, the mm. sound. And so in a way, what I'm doing with the war guitar is going back to my childhood where I really don't know what I'm doing. Look, I did an album in LA with mm. my friend from The Cure, Pearl Thompson. Pearl lived yeah. with me in my house in LA. I had a beautiful house in the hills with a studio in it. So we used to just go and sit in the studio all day and just write music. And it was fascinating yeah. working with Pearl because I've always been this super technical producer, you know, all the gear, yeah. analyze scopes, analyst this, FICO acoustics, you know, all that sort of stuff, phasing, all, all, all really complicated music. And he's totally yeah. the opposite. He's all about mm. feel and inspiration. And I sat with him and I still remember, you know, Pearl had his little Schecter 335 white guitar and he played it. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, that just sounds so bad. And like, mm. it's just, and he's like, no, no, no. He goes, just Finn, just, just record it. So I recorded it and it sounded to me, my ears, it was like, oh, it sounds so bad. But then when I put mm. the track around it, the guitar just mm. came to life. It was that cure mm. sound. And I was like, and so then me being Mr. Technical, I went and tried to analyze it. And I'm like, it's all out of time. But the out of time is what actually makes it. There's no phase cancellation happening. And it's it's popping out. Yeah. And, and the slight detuning yeah. of it is what's giving it that. Re and the nuances in the, in the sloppiness becomes the character. And and it was a, it was mm. a great lesson for me to go, you know what? I'm just thinking about everything <laughs> way too technical, you know? Um, so, right. yeah. So there's, when was this? This was uh, 2014, 15. Okay. Did that change the way you played from that moment onwards or not? Well, there's a, you know, look, I have this mantra that today I might meet someone that'll change my life. And every single major thing that's happened in my life, it's because I've met someone and it's because I've mm. been open to listening to them, not closing them off, being able to actively mm. listen, just like a musician listens, but listening to conversation and not, not coming out with, this is my opinion and I'm right. It's that, well, what if I'm wrong? And so yeah. Um, yeah. just by doing that, you know, it, it's, it, it, it teaches me. And like, I remember when I was really young and I had a load of guitar students, I was teaching at the Australian Institute of Music. I was doing clinics. I was, I was just, I was this, I had about 50 students a week. It was just crazy back then. Um, and mm. I still remember, you know, I would go and get snare, a Ted Green snare drum patterns for the drum book. And I'd give it to my students, my guitar students. And I go, right. What we're going to do is we're going to learn these, these drum rhythms on the guitar, right? Just on one string. Yeah. And I do things like single that. string orchestras and, you know, like or at, at, I would, when I was teaching kids tapping, because a lot of kids are like that Van Halen sort of tapping and I'd be starting to teach mm. them eight finger tapping and I'd be like, right, what we need to do is mimic, you know, Irish harps. And so we'd get the, the, mm. the sound. So it's that being able to not go, I don't like that style of music. It's the, what it trying to question what is it in that style of music I don't like? What why is it rubbing mm. me the wrong way? Rather than oh no, I'm not into that. That's that's gay music or I hate that. It's like, well, why do I hate that? You know? So I, I'm I don't know if that's answering the question, but I'm always uh, it's it, these things are always changing my life. They're they're mm. uh, because I'm purposely working very, very hard on being open 
to not being critical and closing anything off. And it's actually nice. a really hard exercise to do. But by doing mm. that, it cultivates so much in my ability to active listen, to learn. Um, you know, I, I was always fascinated as I was getting older in this concept of I got to a level with my guitar playing where where do I go from here? You know, I could sort of play mm. most things. I could shred all this stuff. I could play all these different styles. I could do, you know, and I was like, well, and I got really bored and, you know, it mm. was this, you let, we get to a level of expertise and we think that's really mm. good. And then I started mm. asking the question, well, why is that good? Why is it good to be an expert? And what I realized is when I get, when you get to an expert, you stop learning and you start teaching. And mm. so, so I don't know. I just, I just really love not knowing and working hard mm. on not having a viewpoint that I know everything, if that makes sense. It, it makes total sense to me. I, I have a certain amount of things that I call my bullshit philosophies. And, and one of them is that I'm, I've, I take great comfort in knowing that I really can't know almost everything there is to know we can't possibly know yet. And I, I find it very freeing to, one of the ways I look at it is if you look at, if humans evolve for another thousand years for argument's sake, they will look back on us and our knowledge of the universe as amoeba level of understanding. And, and in the same way that if we look at going back to the, the caveman days and I mean, they knew virtually nothing of the way the universe works. And I, I think that's going to be the same in, in future human history, which means therefore that we do know nothing, uh, which obviously is a bullshit philosophy, but it's, a, it's one that I'd like to ponder. Well, yeah, 100%. Look, I, I think I look at the, some of the things that have blown my life up, you know, had me traveling around the world, set me up financially, um, um, give me the life that I love to leave to, to do the things I want to do now. And it's the tech companies I've built, the, the, the patents I've built, I've all been about being curious and not taking things for granted. Like, for example, the, the new tech I've invented with my partner, Ahmed Zappi, his dad was Frank Zappa, obviously, very famous musician in the 70s, mm. really transformed music, how music, the yeah. concept of music. He was pushing new sonic yeah. boundaries. Well, so, you know, I'm going back to ancient tuning systems. So basically what, I'm, what, we, what we're doing is rather than thinking about music as an auditory process, as something that you hear and you go, oh, that's a song, mm. and everyone focuses on Dolby Atmos, like let's create an algorithm that creates that spatial elements and head-related transfer frequencies and psychoacoustic cues that give us placement in space. It's the, mm. why can't we calibrate music to drive human performance? So by non-auditory frequencies as well as auditory frequencies. So we've got a couple of patents on this technology. We're doing trials with everyone from military groups to police forces to, to change the, uh, the frequency tuning of a pre-recorded mix of music, whereby each note right. on a musical scale is retuned or reharmonized to more base level human resonant frequencies. And it's, it's really fascinating because when the ratification oh. of, of ITU, when the, when the ratification of 12 tone temperament tuning came in, it was designed mm. so instruments could play in tune, right? And so you hear people talking about mm. A440 and 432 yeah. and, you know, and, yeah. you know, 528 hertz and the God frequencies yeah. and solfeggio tunings. 
The problem is when you're on a guitar, you've got frets. So even if you tune it to an open yeah. tuning, as soon as you play a fret, it's all out, right? So mm. th- because yeah. it's based on 12 t- a, a mathematical Pythagorean scale. But when you actually apply it to a mix of music, which has already been recorded so everything's in tune, then you actually mm. slice the mix into, say, 48 slices of four octaves, and you slightly recalibrate the tuning, and you've got... Obviously, there's some tricks in terms of the phasing and time delays and stuff. Basically, you retune the whole mix back to a set of human resonant frequencies. And all you need to do, uh, in fo- if you do it 48 times, you've got a 1 in 48 chance of creating resonance with an intended audience. And then the principle of what we're trying to do is to say, I'm sorry if this is getting technical, but basically it's no. about retuning. So if you think about this, all ancient instruments weren't tuned using a guitar tuner. Yes. And true. so then I asked the question, well, how were they tuned? Mm. How did you tune a Tibetan bowl? Mm. And it's, they tune them till what's called harmonic tuning, till it resonated with the human, not to mm. a not to a tuner, not not to that's yeah, 440 yeah. hertz. Did that sound good? And so yeah. what we've been trying to play with is if we can reset the baseline tuning of a, of a mix and then add in the typical isochronic tones, binaural beats, um, you know, head-related transfer free, all the other psychoacoustic principles, and then do them in certain ways, can we then affect human emotion? So it's, wow. it's, it's an interesting experiment. But, um, but again, it's being curious and asking, what is music? And why do, mm. why, why do, we, why do we tune that certain way? And nine mm. times out of 10, you can find an answer, but it's when you can't find an answer is your chance to find some innovation, you know? And I do that with, yeah, with my playing as well. Great. That's why I like the war guitar, yeah, yeah. Or, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I, I'm working with an artist at the moment and they were talking about um, potentially doing a song in 432. Yeah. And I did a bit of a deep dive into, you know, researching whether there was anything to that. Uh, and I, at the end of that, my conclusion was that the jury's kind of out on it. But I don't know, but I'm really curious your opinion on this because many, many of my favorite pieces of music that couldn't resonate more deeply with me, to my knowledge, are 440 tuning. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so when people say, well, you know, 440 isn't like a, the, the correct frequency for, for human vibration, I, I just think, well... So many, I could probably name 150 songs that were done in 440 that that move me on levels that you you. Can't okay, so let me explain. let me give you an explanation of what's going on there. So a lot of there's a lot of misunderstanding when people make comments like that. So 440 mm-hmm. is one note, it's A. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's all it yes. is. So 440 yeah. tuning isn't that it's all it's all in 440 hertz. There's a whole heap of frequencies yeah, yeah. going on in that mix. It just yeah. means that the baseline reference of where all the notes are tuned to in a mathematical yes. scale of Pythagorean tuning, fractional based on 12, 12 notes, 12 tone temperaments, is yeah. 440 hertz. So the songs yes. that might resonate with you, well, let me, let me go back. Everyone has a different body composition, amount of fat, amount of muscle, amount of mm. water retention, mm. um, cavities mm. in their body. And a lot of what we're doing is based on science, right? So... The mm. human body, the, to find a resonance and the, the physics of the, the concept of resonance is when an energy source is created or sparked and it hits, an, it hits a recipient and that recipient has a fundamental frequency in tune with the energy source that's coming at it. 
and then it amplifies that energy back. So it creates a feedback loop. That's mm -hmm. true resonance, yeah. right? Yeah. In a mix, there are ton there's lots of frequencies yeah. going on. Thousands. So yeah. depending on the tuning, depending on the reverbs, depending on the EQ, depending on the phase between so mm. people know about binaural beats, you know, four hertz between two different two different ears, two four hertz apart, creates that phantom beat in the head. And what it does is it overstimulates the brain to create relaxation. So most people think, oh, binaural beats is this fancy thing. All it is is really overstimulating your brain to try and create a balance point. And that process of overstimulation mm. makes you forget about everything else. But the point about these wow. two differentials can also happen in phasing and it can happen at one kilohertz. So there's, there's a lot of things going on in a mix that could be the things that are resonating with you because your body composition, the way you're, whatever brainwave state you're at, which is the clock cycles, there's all of these sort of yeah. really complex mathematics going on in terms of um, how music resonates with you. One of the key things that a lot of people forget is the principle of entrainment, which is, as right. you would know, like, you know, loops, a drum loop that goes on and on. An Indian no, rag. explain that to me. Oh, okay, cool. So, What's entrainment? Okay, so entrainment is a... Um, is a scientific principle of reclocking, And there's a lot of experiments that have happened where they put 20 grandfather clocks in a room and they let their grandfather clock spin and mm. they go out of the yeah. room, they come back in an hour and they're all in sync with each other. Yes. And yeah. that's in training, right? Where, where there's, 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 the, there's a lot of different things going on in physics from the sound pressure to X, Y, and Z, which mm. then create a unity. There's, there's a certain groups of birds that every wing flap is all in movement all in sync when they're doing it. So mm. since the birth of time, music has had this ability to re-clock or take you into an external clock reference. And this is why meditation, when you say the same thing over and over again, it creates a mm. sense of entrainment whereby you are now externally clocked to a, a loop, for example. And this is right. like dance music right. and all that sort of stuff. So when you look at that mm. entrainment principle and you take it on the frequency level, where you have frequencies, when you take in ultra low frequencies or you look at the OM frequency between 120 to 150 Hertz, it's really interesting when you start to think about, okay, how can I create um, phase between two ears instead of a binaural beat? I did this on my new album, The Code. I did a lot of this work between how I change reverb frequencies in each ear to create intended responses. Um, and so it's, it's quite interesting when you get into the, the science of it because it's not, it's not as simple as going, oh, 432, it's the God frequency. Well, to who? What body composition? Like, that's one note. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And then if yeah. you're tuning 12-tone yeah. temperament, the point of resonics is to not tune in 12-tone temperament. Our point is every single note in the musical scale needs to be recalibrated to the most common baseline human resonant frequencies, not just one note. So 432 right. is one note, but all the rest of the notes are out. Does that make mm. sense? Because they're all tuned. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's what. What do you think? Your your friend from the Cure that you worked with, and you were saying that you're a very technical person, and and they're like the opposite. What do you think they would think of all this stuff? They think I'm completely insane. <laughs> most people look. I'll be honest, Michael. Most people think I'm insane. Like it's right. just my mind. Like I I I go deep. I go looking for problems to solve. I go looking for questions that people haven't asked. It's, it's part of a game to me. And yeah, and, that's amazing. But it's where you find innovations and me being like that crazy person 
has been, you know, it's got me to float one of my inventions on the Australian Stock Exchange. It's got me to build companies yeah. around the world. You know, it's that, and it, it's it's yeah. not an easy journey. It's about it's about the art of creativity and the processes around creativity. Um, once mm. you know the methodologies around creativity, not just, oh, I'm a creative person, um, mm. then you actually can start to go, right, I'm going to actually use this process. So, again, people like Pearl from The Cure, they're just mm. innately, they have a sound um, and it's great and I love it. Um, mm. Mm. I'm I'm not that lucky. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what I don't know. I just sort of... Um, I am a very analytical person, but I'm on the other side of it. Mm. I work very hard at a certain point to get, think of it like, like this. With my playing, I got so good technically at my playing. Mm. Then the next hardest part for me as a player was to throw all the technicality away. It was very, yeah. very hard. Yeah. It was actually the hardest thing for me to do as a guitar player. Um, yeah, and yeah. The, how I did that from a creative angle, I've got my walls yeah. littered here with seven and eight string guitars, I would tune my guitars to one, one of my seven strings to the word baggage, B-A-G-G-A-G-E. Why? Nice. Because I've got no idea what chords I'm playing. I've got no idea. And I would sit down and I'd write a song and it would force me to not play any chord that I know what I'm playing. And it's not yeah. dad-gad. It's not a standard tuning. So I would just go yeah. and get a guitar and, or, you know, I'd get a baritone nylon. I've got these really crazy weird guitars here. Beautiful. And, wow. And I would tune them to things that just sound good sympathetically to my ear. So all open, mm. it's got this beautiful sound. And I'd go, blah, blah, blah. And I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even analyze the notes. And then I'd sit around and noodle around until I came up with something. And to me, that yeah. was, I know the technicalities. I can think about all the, you know, how I do chords, tritone substitutions over here, how I move into key centers over here, all of that sort of stuff. Okay, good. Mm. I look at that as my textbook thing. So when, yeah. how I, yeah. it was very hard for me to throw the rules away. Um, and so yeah. that was, I, I, I call it, I did a talk. It's actually on YouTube. It's called being an expert at not being an expert. And what I do is I try mm. and teach tools in the corporate world. I teach tools to experts to go beyond being an expert. To actually, right. because when you're an expert, you're now defined by the rules, which is your expertise. Your expertise yes. blocks you into a way of thinking. And then you typically yes. defend that viewpoint. But it's very yes. hard to then let go of your brand of being an expert and go, yeah. now I know nothing. But you've got those skills mm. to be able to assemble and gain insights. I don't know if this is all making was sense. That, but is it, absolutely. Is, is that confronting for people? It's confronting for everyone. It was confronting for me. Yeah. But it was so liberating yeah. at the same time, you know, because I thought- But when, every- when you, if, sorry, you go. No, I was just saying that at one stage, everyone knew me as this crazy shredding guitar player that, you know, I could do all these yeah. like ridiculous, crazy shredding things. And that was my brand. And I didn't want that to be my brand. I only got to that level just because I, was int- I wasn't there doing it because everyone could give me adornment. I was doing it because it was a challenge. And then I got that challenge done yeah. and I wanted to do another challenge. But then people mm. associated with me with that. So for me, it's mm. the, I don't know. I just, I, I, I have to move on. But it, it's a challenge because everyone wants you to be that person. When I was doing lots of guitar mm. clinics, people put up these, you know, all these guitar companies have put up these signs in music stores. Oh, Finbar's coming and he's a shredder with taste. And I used to hate that. Like, 
I wouldn't say I'm a shredder. I'm just a guitar yeah. player. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say you hate that, that you you hated that they said that you had taste in your shredding. <laughs> well, actually, in one clinic, I actually went because I was so angry. I went and bought like a, like one of those manual food process things, right? And yeah. I got like a cabbage. At the beginning of my clinic, I, I shredded up a cabbage and I gave it to the audience <laughs> before I started. Everyone's like. This guy's completely off his rocker, but anyway, I probably am, but you know. <laughs> um, that's amazing. So uh, earlier you were talking about the, the kid that, uh, you know, was essentially ADHD yeah. um, and didn't do very well at school. Do you ever kind of look back at that kid and think, what would that kid think of the man that I've become now? Ah. Oh. Would you, do, you, do you think that kid would be like blown away by what you've achieved? Uh, not, re- not really, um, because it sounds really weird, but um, I don't really look at what I've achieved. It's, it's not really important to me. What's important to me is waking up every day and doing whatever I want with the people I love and doing mm. cool shit. And yeah, yeah look, I've beautiful. got nice cars and nice house and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that's not what defines me. So I, I think if I look yeah. back, um, what I'd be really proud of is, is my dad. So my dad was dock worker from Liverpool. I was born in the UK too in Liverpool. We moved out. Right. My dad was always like, son, you know, whatever you want to do, I'm going to support you. I've got no idea. We've got no money, but whatever you want to do. You know, anything you want to do, if you don't like school, we'll, we'll figure something out. And he got me into the, you know, Johnny Young Talent School. I was doing lots of commercials. I was doing all this stuff when I was a kid. And as we got older, I was really lucky that before he passed to be able to sort of go, hey, dad, you know, I can afford to, you know, take you on the Queen Elizabeth. I can t- do this. And to me, that was that was my proud bit. It was to tell my dad that I'm going to be OK. Yeah. When, when he passes on, yeah. your son's going to be OK. You know, you've done a good job. Yeah. You know what I mean? To me, that was... Yeah. That's what I look back and I go, that little boy, I always remember my dad giving me the encouragement. I was super lucky. A lot of parents, a lot of kids don't have that encouragement. You know, they, they're like no. me, but they don't have that parent mm. thing. But my dad in particular yeah. was just so amazing to me. Um, and it, I, I, I look back and I go, I love the fact that I was at a Christian school and I used to get the strap. I love the fact that my dad had no money. Uh, I look now mm. and sometimes in my life now where I've, I've been okay, there's times in my life where I've, I've got the financial resource to do what I want, I don't have the same appreciation. I just go out and go, oh, I'll just go and buy a piece of rack gear that's like, yeah. you know, five or 10 grand. Yeah. Back in the old yeah. days, I would have saved for a year to get that. And then when I got yeah. it, I would know everything about it because it was like, mm. you know, I worked so hard for it. And it's sort of funny yeah. that when you can go and get everything, it's like, I don't think I appreciate it as much. You know, when I used to get given guitars yeah, by guitar totally. companies, I, you know, I got five, $10,000 Jacksons given to me through my endorsement. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's yeah. nice, and I and then mm. I'd have to I'd have to ground myself and go, man, if I bought this and I work for yeah. it, I'd have a totally yeah. different association with it. So yeah, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around probably well. on your question, but you know, no, not at all. I, I suppose the reason I ask it isn't to kind of say, would you go back to that kid and 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 kind of say, you know, with a, an element of hubris, yeah, I've, I've I've achieved things. It's it's more that. There are probably so many young people, particularly, that feel like they're they're not good at school, so they're not going to have a successful life, or they're not interested any in anything yet. And I I find it 
helpful when people kind of look back and particularly someone like yourself who struggled so much at school to actually look back at that kid and go, you're going to turn out okay, mate. You're going to, you're going to do well. It's, it's, it's more as a, an encouragement for people that might be struggling themselves. Yeah. Well, look, Michael, um, you know, it's it, one of my greatest passions these days is to try and help kids realize they're going to be okay. Right. Um, it's to nice. try and be my dad, what my dad was with the time I've got, obviously, but it's the, yeah. you know, it, we're in this society these days where social media has a false portrayal of all this success and people buy into that success. For me, yeah. you know, like my definition of success is being able to wake up, create music, do a public speaking, you do whatever I want to do, really. That's my definition of success. Yeah. And I've had nice, me really too. nice, I've been, and I'm not saying it's, that's right for everyone, but I've been through a journey where I've wanted to have the Ferrari, I've wanted to have the house in LA, I've wanted to, and once you get that, that stuff, it's like, okay, what's next? And so this is my yeah. part of my journey now. But what I've found is, though, that as long as you are doing two things, I think you will always be successful. And um, yeah. and a lot of people think that's really crazy what I'm about to say, but it's it's one of them is really common sense. The other one isn't so much common sense. But the first thing is, yeah. is making sure you go forward. You don't route yourself in what happened in the past, right? Things... Opportunities pass your life every day. Like if I put down in a book, you know, the, the stuff that happened in my life, people wouldn't believe it. Like seriously, like from being in a nightclub in Paris to getting a 10 million euro investment to being on a private jet with Bernie Eccleston at F1 at Cannes Film Festival, Playboy Man, people just wouldn't believe the stuff that I've done. And you know how that mm. stuff has happened? Because I've just kept going forward and I've been open to just meeting people and having a yeah. good energy, right? So as long as you're going yeah. forward and not, blaming this and oh, this isn't right and I don't have this because of that. It's about who might I connect with? Who can I be around mm. that's inspiring me? How can I help mm. them? Um, and that's the, that opens doorways. It's like getting on a, on, a, on a video game. If you're in a video game, let's say you're in World of Warcraft and you've got your little group around you, that's your, you know, you've got your little guild and they're your friends. Yeah. But where are you going? Yeah. Where's your journey? You don't sit around waiting to be smashed by some monster. So it's the, yeah. what does your life look like? How do you take that? And so, you know, I'm t I talk to kids that are, and parents that love video games. And it's the parents yeah. that are the problem, not the kids. I'm like, Mate, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. learning a video game is unbelievable. And I talk, because I play video games. I'm, I've got, I'm a massive gamer. And I'm like, and I talk mm. through the lens of the kids about instances this or this on Roblox or this on, you know, whatever it is, Fortnite or, mm. and these parents are like, and I'm like, you, what you don't understand is you're trying to you're trying to attribute value to something that you know, the skills yeah. this kid's learning. So anyway, but the kids don't have that capability to to connect that. So from a kid's yeah. perspective, it like I love what you're saying there to be able to sh showcase that. It's the if a crazy person like me, who no one understands, who looks really weird and can survive in a corporate world and do things, you can do it too. What you need to yeah. do first is you need to tap into what your passion is. And if you don't know, yeah. if, if you don't know what your job is and you can't find it or I'm not really sure, yeah. go and explore. Become an explorer. I tell this to people mm. my age, right? I say to people, mm. people go, oh, look, I got, I'm really don't know what, I'm depressed. And, I'm lost. and I go, cool. Tell me the thing, the one thing you've done this week that you've never done in your life before. And yeah. they go, what do yeah. you mean? And I go, okay, well, tell me the, in the last two weeks, in the last four weeks, people become pigeonhole they never mm. explore and because they never explore they yeah. never experience anything new so they get into this rut 
And even if it's buying a new type of loaf of bread, just recognizing mm. that you're purposely going out to do something new is yeah. part of the exploration, yeah. right? It's just, I don't that's know, great. It's, and that, and that's such a simple, I love the fact that when you say go and explore, it doesn't mean fly to the Himalayas. It, it, it can mean buy a new type of bread. 100%. It, it just do something different and expand your horizons. Uh, and people go, that's, that's crazy buying a loaf of bread. And I go, it's not buying a new loaf of bread. It's recognizing yeah. that you're going out of your way to try something new. Yes. Because yes. it's, it's like going I, to the gym. I completely you understand. You don't go to the gym and lift 4,000 kilos. You work up to it. This is a process. Yeah. It's, a, it's like taking the safety net away. By Society, <coughs> in my view, has been taught, has been brought up to teach us to be good little servants and work in a job. Now, for the people yeah. that potentially listen to this yeah. podcast, they might not resonate with that. And what I'm no. saying and what you're saying, Michael, I'm sure, is, well, that's okay. And the yeah. problem is when you need to survive in that world, which is all built around these people, you need to, as a person, figure out where your passion is and you need to explore because I'll tell you why. Once you've got a passion, the amount of times I could have given my tech companies away, the amount of times I could have given my practice or my guitar away, um, and that set me up for life, was there was countless amounts of times. But because I was passionate about it, it wasn't a job. Mm, that's unreal. When you were saying there's two things that people should do, one is always be moving forward. Yep. What was the second one? Okay, so I'm glad you pulled this up. So this is what yeah. I tell a lot of people when I'm mentoring. So I go... So and, the, and this is the one that you said it's not won't common. make a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah, it won't yeah. make a lot of okay. sense. And people don't gotcha. believe me. I like it. And so I'm what ready. I have to say I'm to ready. people before, because when I'm mentoring, especially well, even adults, you know, people used to look at me in LA. I'm driving my nice Porsche. I've got a big house in the hills. I've got to hang out with all these rock stars. I'm doing all this stuff, right? And so they go, oh, I want your life. How do, you, how do I have your life? <laughs> And I go, yeah. okay, I go, I'm going to tell you, and it's only one thing you have to do to get my life, but you won't believe me. Yeah. And they would go, yeah. well, no, I'll believe you. I go, no, you won't believe me. I'm telling you, you won't believe me because everyone I tell it to, they just don't believe it. They go, it's stupid what I'm saying, but they don't yeah. think about what I'm saying. Anyway, so I, dr I drag it out by getting them to go, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I really want to believe it. I go, here it is. The one thing you need to do, you need to make sure Every single person you meet, they leave with more than you take. I love that. I love everything about that. Now, and the people go, oh, what? I don't get that. And I go, well, okay, let me say that. Imagine if it's all about you and you want this mm. car and you want that. If you make sure everyone leaves with more than you take, what's going to happen? Everyone's going to want to be around you. Everyone's going to connect to you. Then you're going to get all the deals. Then you're going to get all the networks. Then you're the one that's going to get signed because you're making sure that everyone else is getting fulfilled when they come to you. So if it's all about you, make it all about everyone else. I love that. Do you know what I mean? Had, I'm, I'm so, I'm genuinely shocked that people can't get that. Well, I, 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 it, it, it blows, because, hmm. You know, I, I don't know about you, Michael, but like I found the more you travel and the more you sort of be in different cultures, you start to just see how different people work. For me, it's such yeah. common sense, right? But it's, yeah. A, a lot of people are like, they go, what they do is they go, oh, yeah, 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 cool, okay. And then they go away and then yeah, they yeah. implement it. They go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But, but it doesn't yeah. make sense to them because they don't go and implement it. And then they come back to you like, you know what? 
do you do you ever think to yourself you know that 10 years down the track they might be thinking of that statement and it might resonate with them and and change their life at a later date yeah everyone has to be like I, i'm not i'm not the right person to say you have to do this now i'm just i just yeah, plant a seed of knowledge absolutely. and, and it, there might be a time in your life when it might resonate uh, right now it might not and if it does at that point in their life then i'm really honored that they've they've listened to that but you know part yeah. of one of the secrets I've learned to, to in my life, because I'm a very, you probably guessed, I'm very analytical. I'm, my brain's very manic. Yes. Is that yes. I work really, really hard on making the complex simple. That's probably my number one thing. Right? And I talk about mm. maths and sort of psychoacoustics and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, mm. when I, whether I'm in a corporate world or whether I'm in a, you know, a musical world, I play around with these puzzles and I'm looking for new explorations. But at the end of the day, like if you listen to my, my new album, The Code, it's got a lot mm. of technicality in it. But at the end of the day, it's very musical. It's, it's musical. beautiful, by the way. Oh, thanks, bud. Yeah. But That's but beautiful. if you want to analyze it, I wanted to write an album like The Da Vinci Code. I wanted to put hidden codes in it. I wanted to reveal some of the hidden codes, but I wanted to also not release some of the hidden codes so people can... Because what I wanted to do by the outcome of that it was, isn't promote my art, was to try and get people to actively listen again. Because I, I right. you know, my vision, my my belief is that music's become a background to our life. It hasn't yeah. become something that inspires our life. It's just something on while we're watching watching TV or or playing golf yeah. or playing PlayStation. It's not something that yeah. we sit down and it inspires us and takes us on journey. So, you know, but but yeah. So as like, as a society in general, not society not in general, you know, like we're, on an and we're all making level. algorithmic music. For we're, so we're like the McDonald's and everyone's not everyone, but a lot of people have made the most mainstream music is is the fast food, which is great. It's all consumed. It's put into yeah. everything from digital signage and that, that's a to to in store shopping. That's fine, mm. but the if you look at restaurants, there are also really high class restaurants. If you look, there's 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 different levels, and I'm sure that happens in music. But all yeah. I was trying to do was to try and fuse science and art into my music the way I mm. wanted to do it. Um, and so, mm. Uh, mm. but yeah, look, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm sort of rambling here, but but um no, no mate, please don't don't think that anything you're saying is anything less than fascinating because it it really is, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. Um. Before we go on, I was wondering if you could give, mainly for our, our listeners and viewers, a quick elevator pitch of what you do, because you're a musician and a futurist and a technology leader. And could you, could you sum it up real quickly so that then some of the other questions that I ask will make sense to people? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, first off, let me, let me preface that by saying... Um, my whole life, my passion has been to be indescribable. Hmm. Right? So most people want to be want to put pigeonhole themselves, and I like not. But to answer yeah. your question, um, yes. I have a number of facets. So um, think yeah. of it like a, a pentagon or something. In one side, yeah. I'm a musician, and uh, I love writing music. I love collaborating with other artists, X, Y, Z. On the other side, I coach people big corporates um, and all sorts of people on uh, applied innovation and creativity. So I'm the Australian subject matter expert for the human capability standards, which is all the future of work stuff. So I, I work yeah. with big organizations all around the country, Fortune 500, blah, 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 companies in teaching them how to use creativity in creating, so, uh, solving problems, 
uh, using the reorganization of existing things. And we can go into that later. But that's that's the, the definition of creativity. Plus, I'm the APAC president of the uh, GINI, which is the Global Innovation Institute based out of the US. So they came out of Boeing, Whirlpool and NASA. Um, and they are, they're a group that actually, they're in 40 countries, 10,000 certified innovators. So they're, they're really about how do you, how do you help organizations create innovative outputs? So I've got a coaching side where I teach people stuff. Uh, then I do mm. public speaking. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so I've got, I've got a number of different hats and then I'm a technology entrepreneur. So I've got a new app, which is a Lego AI app launching, uh, quite soon. It allows kids to take a photo of something, draw something. They put, they put their parts into the app and then it takes their drawing and turns it into a fully built Lego model. They press a button Fantastic. and it prints out all the instructions. So it, it turns their drawing into, into Lego. And then I've got my, my tech with Ahmet. So I'm always exploring. Uh, before when I said exploring, I'm exploring speaking. I'm exploring coaching. I'm just looking for ways yeah. that I can add value. And unfortunately, yeah. when people say, what do you do? I often say I, so, I, I, I learn and solve problems, but people, there's no real job for that. So yeah, I tend yeah. to tell people what I do depending on, like if you were a, a consultant at a big consulting firm or at a big organization, I would talk through one lens to you and say, this is what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in essence, okay, I'm someone that's... who uses creativity in everything. Yes, yes. I love the exploration thing, and that's, that's definitely going to be something that I'm going to take out of this moving forward. And I suppose I'm exploring this whole podcast thing, you know, with, I've released uh, seven episodes and uh, this one will be coming out probably around episode 12 or something like that. And I look at, you know, the numbers, there's not a lot of people checking it out yet, uh, but I just, I love it. And so I'll continue to explore it until I stop loving it. And uh, so that's, that's something that I'm, I'm definitely going to learn from. Okay, I'm going to go to a very big question for you. Yeah. I'm sorry, do you want to say something? Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question actually on that because I'm sure. really fascinated about that because I think it's actually valuable to the audience. Is that sure? What I would like to ask you is what you've learned that you never learned before as you've been done seven podcasts. Uh, oh, I mean, I, I've I've heard a bunch of great stories. But I've, I've learned that I can buy a loaf of bread and, and, and change and, and explore in, on a micro level. And, and that the importance of that is to understand. It's not the actual act. It's the understanding of what you're doing at that moment. But look, I've, uh, I've, tough I've spoken with so... I, well, it is just because I've spoken to so many amazing people so far who've... Uh, well, if I, if I could give you to, an insight... I'm going to have to think about that. Well, yes, if I could please. give you an insight, because I've done a similar thing to you. I created a show called Raiders of the Lost Art. And, um, right. you know, I, I started that. the war guitar, which there's really hardly any players in the world. So I created a podcast and I got to interview the top people in the world from King Crimson to... And they all came on my podcast. So I got to meet everyone and I got wow. to talk to them about the instrument. And then I got to be able to do private lessons with them and became friends with them. So what's amazing, amazing. about this medium is is it connects people in a way that it could never connect. You can get insights and you can create friendships yeah. um, in a way that you could never do that before. And so for people yeah. who are creatives, who feel like they're stuck at home, what you're doing and how you're interested, what I'm fascinated, and the reason I ask that question is because I always think about mm. when I'm going on a journey, what are the things I'm learning here? Because if you just look at the numbers on your podcast, it might dissuade yeah. you from what you're doing. 
But that's the wrong yes. measurement of success. Absol it's, absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted I think, your question. No, no, not at all. I, I think one of the... One of the things I'm learning is that uh, there is a big part of me that when I espouse my ideas, I'm doubting myself every fucking sentence. And I feel like I ramble. I feel like, uh, you know, that there's so much self-doubt and, and self-criticism, which is okay. Uh, but it's something that I'm constantly processing. Um, and I don't feel it as a producer when I'm making records. Obviously, I do get moments of doubt as any creative does in, in the process of making records. But talking to people, there's a big part of me that feels like now, for example, that I'm just fucking rambling with bullshit that no one cares about. So that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm learning. And I'm also learning to be totally comfortable with that. And... Uh, I'm enjoying doing these podcasts and having these chats. And I think my, my guests are enjoying the chats. And so that, I suppose, is all that matters at this point, right? You just keep a doing it until, absolutely, mate. until you um, don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. It's, I, I'll tell you, um, there's, a, there's a great framework. Have you ever heard of human-centered design? Uh, no. Okay. So human-centered design. Uh, well, it's, it's part I of design so. thinking. Yeah. Basically, it's a, it's a fundamental principle that puts the human at every... But look, it's just a little trick, um, which is great when you've got little lack of confidence in 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 something. And by the way, I don't think you do. But um, a great way to mm. overcome that in your own mind is to, before you uh, put a viewpoint out there, is to uh, put your viewpoint out there by asking someone a question about that viewpoint. And what happens is right. by asking them a question before giving the viewpoint, you're being able to get the input data that gives you an understanding of how to wrap the language around how you deliver your message to the person where it resonates mm. with them. Interesting. So, yeah. so if, if, for example, you were going to talk about, I don't know, let's talk about Gibson guitars and you want, and you loved it. You were going to, you love Gibson SG. So you're going to talk about a Gibson SG. You might, mm. and, and you really wanted to talk about, you know, the G string on and not staying in tune on a, on a Gibson SG, you know, yeah. you might want to want to, as a suggestion is go, Hey, have you ever heard of, this issue with Gibson SGs with the G strings, they don't tune. Have yeah. you experienced that? Do you have one? And they go into a story, yeah, and that yeah. story then helps you as you're listening craft out exactly how you're going to deliver your message. So there's a, there's, there's a couple nice. of really interesting ways to, to evoke um, engagement through an audience by asking a question mm. rather than just delivering a, a, a hypothesis. Yeah, interesting. My, my next question for you is, have you ever noticed that the G-string on a Gibson Les Paul is temperamental? Um, I'm glad I, you asked okay. that question. Have <laughs> you ever noticed that someone might ever Because I really want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, that, God, I have so many questions for you. Uh, I really want to talk about AI. Yep. Uh, and I don't know which one to ask first, so I'm going to go to this one. I, are you worried about AI? Does it scare you on any levels? Not at all. Um, uh, I'm, I understand why someone might be scared of AI. I, I understand it. Um, but, you know, it's, it, if you go back, it's interesting, if you go back and go into the Wayback Machine and, and type in early videos on what the internet was, it's yeah. a really, really interesting exercise. 
And you look at all these people fearful of the internet. Oh, my God, mm. this thing called the internet's going to come in and no, there's all these pirates and blah, blah, blah. And there's all these fundamental changes. Um, AI, I've done a lot of work. I actually did a webinar last night for the Global Innovation Institute of America, and I talked a lot about the future of work, and I've been up with a lot of the studies of what's happening and how AI is replacing yeah. and automating a lot of jobs. But it's also creating a lot of jobs. For example, there's a lot of talk at the moment about Midjourney and Dali 2 with art and, and you yeah. know how AI is replacing art. But what ends up happening is a different set of skills is born um, yeah. out of the advancement of technology. And so, you know, yes, yeah. AI is doing some incredible things. And yes, if you don't adapt, you will die or you will become less relevant. Um, yeah. You know, it's like graphic designers that didn't adopt Photoshop because they still want to work on plates and, you know, yeah. and do typesetting. Yeah. Those people don't exist yeah. anymore. Right. And, and yeah. the younger yeah. audience would go, what's typesetting? What's quite yeah. express? Yeah. That's a joke. You know, yeah. like, why would I use that? Yeah. Because, yeah. but they're in yeah. a different era. Right. So, the, the, you know, fortune. I, it, I, go on. I, I suppose I should reframe the question a bit. I'm not, I'm not talking about, uh, I'm talking about its potential to destroy humanity. I'm talking about on that, that big ultimate level, if, if AI once, I mean, it's, it's already in so many ways smarter than all humans ever combined. Once, you know, it really does its thing in the next kind of 50 years, is there a chance that it's going to turn around and say, you know what, we just don't need these humans anymore? Well, here's, you know, here's this the is way something that's discussed it. a lot, right? Yeah, well, so here, here's the way, I, and this is just the way I think about it. And I'll frame this sure. in, uh, I'll frame the answer by giving some context first by explaining how I deal with conspiracy theorists. So I've got lots of friends in the US and I used to sit in my house when I was in Venice and people come in and they go, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, this is happening and that's happening. And, you know, yeah. so my response would be, I 100% believe you. And they'd go, what? I go, I go, so what's the plan? I just go quiet. They go, what do you mean? I go, what's the plan? And they go, what do you mean? What's the plan? I go, what's the plan? I go, cause you're my friend, right? And they go, yeah. And I go, I know as a friend, you're not just going to come and tell me bad information. You've got a plan to how you're going to fix it. So what's the action? And they'll be like, mm. and it would stump them. And so mm. I don't predict, I don't get too scared about anything unless I know that here's the cause and here's a plan to address it. So I don't sit around worrying about anything. What I tend yeah. to do is I yeah. tend to work out how to fix things. I'm more of a solutionist yeah. than, and so it could be a problem statement. So if you were, if that was wrapped up in here is a problem statement, I would then go and ask you to validate that that is a problem. So I don't know if that's a problem. It's a hypothesis of it might happen. It also might not happen. Mm. But what I need to do is I need to protect my own energy, which is generates me cash and gives me the lifestyle I want into putting that energy into things that I can actually create solutions for. So mm. what I would be doing is if someone came to me saying, and I know it's just a question. So I'm, 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 what I'm trying to do, Michael, is I'm just trying to give you an idea of how I think, right? Is that sure. I don't get too caught up in worrying about things that might happen in the future unless I can potentially think of a way to solve it. Otherwise, I go and try yeah. and think about other things that I can solve because I, yeah, I spend yeah, too much nice. energy worrying about things that are outside my control, if that makes sense. Uh, totally, because the world is mainly filled with people just worrying about it and not coming up with solutions. So thank God there are people like you. And 
you know, I, I, I tend to be in your category, actually. I, I, I don't really dwell on things that I, that I can't try and find a solution there's a, there's for myself, a, there's, a, so. there's a lady called Brené Brown, and she did this, had this great talk once, and she said, think of it this way. Every morning you wake up, you've got a tank full of petrol, and you yeah. decide where you're going to drive and how you, what you're going to use that petrol on. You got fuel. Nice, I like right? that. And so yeah. it's up to you to. And so you could sit around and worry about all this stuff. The reason I don't watch the news is because <clears throat> I call it the daily dose of despair. It's all mm. drama. I used to do a thing where I'd go online every Friday and I'd look up YouTube headlines and I'd look at the word crisis and I'd find how many stories have the word crisis in them. And there's normally like ten or fifteen or something, all different. Mm. But it it, it gives yeah. you an interesting snapshot. So for for me, I've got to protect my energy. Um, and the more people start to think about from a solution perspective, what can I positively impact? Can I action that information? It's um, at least for me anyway, I've got to protect my energy because I get sucked in yeah. and I get, I got yeah, in these yeah, rabbit yeah. holes and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole anymore because I'll end up 10 years yeah. later, sit being down a rabbit hole and not having the life I want. Yeah. Okay. Well, Pretend I didn't ask that question, then don't think about it anymore. No. Remember how I said I had two I, I had two questions that I was tossing up which one to ask first? Yeah. I clearly fucked that up and no, went no, the wrong way around. No, it's actually I think it's a really um, I, I think that's a really valuable question, to be honest. I look, I mean it it is. Uh well, so in terms of AI and specifically with music, just because most people that are consuming this podcast are, are interested in the musical side of things generally. How is AI, in your opinion, going to redefine music composition, uh, music production, music performance in the next 20, 30 years? Well, I think music won't be what we think music is now. Um, mm. uh, I don't think, I think music will fracture and become two, well, in two camps. Um, and one will be um, the McDonald's, the algorithmic stuff, which is all generated by AI. And anyone that does that music really won't compete because there won't be any jobs for them because it'll all be automated. It'll be like, based on your Apple Watch, what body temperature you are, what brainwave state you are, what thing you're trying to achieve, you're trying to study, you're trying to get past an exam, it will automatically yeah. know all that stuff and the algorithm will create a soundtrack which will help drive you, give you that energy to get through. <clears throat> and so that's yeah. that's where, I, and I already know that stuff exists and it's being it's happening. Is that a bad thing? Well, it's a bad thing if you only write that type of music. Yes, it's a bad thing. But if you're but a what musician, if, what if the what if the AI is generating music that going back to what you said at the beginning of the conversation about resonant frequencies and and breaking down our concept of Western tuning and I'm sure it will. I'm sure we'll get and, to that level. And and so if AI can create things that resonate within us in a way that we've never experienced before. Uh, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. See, what, what a lot of people need to recognize is that the way AI works is it, it has input data sets, libraries, algorithms, and that yeah. they go into another algorithm. <clears throat> so these data sets, 
they're big data, small data, unstructured or structured data, and they go into these these compute algorithms, and those algorithms learn and get better and blah blah blah. But there is, how does an AI learn the art of human collaboration? Yeah, I don't I don't know yet. It can never do it, right? Because it requires two humans to collaborate with each other. How does a AI learn the art of empathy? Right? Mm. It, it can't. No algorithm written in it will on the fly be able to understand the dynamics of touch, sensation, smell, how the auditory mm. process is, is creating, you know, the feeling of love, the feeling of connection, going to a live venue and being in a crowd and feeling the energy of the stage, right? I believe yeah. these are the untapped core fundamental human parts of music that will be driven to amplification and we will come up with new forms of engagement. Not music as, right. okay, bah, 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 here's my Nintendo soundtrack, blah, blah, blah. That's the way we look at it now. We go, oh, I'm going to write this and here's what the drums sound like and here's this. And it's basically a puzzle that we put together to create this flat yeah. thing that comes out and people listen to it on a streaming platform. But how yeah. do we figure out what impulse responses mm. work? How do we use dynamic live inputs with people to people in human capacity? The, all these things haven't been explored. What is the, who's capturing and understanding the dynamics of a live crowd from a death metal crowd to a country crowd and why, and then how does that feeling then in front, inform the artist to produce on the fly? What changes in the artist set? What are, so the, it, these are things that, and then how does that then inform AI algorithms? Because someone who can work that out is it, the people that can work that out, their human capabilities around music mm. are the ones that are going to really thrive in the future because underneath yeah. those people will be a whole heap of machines that will be augmenting the things that, you know, people will laugh, Michael, in, in 10 years' time saying, I had to run sidechain compression on a kick drum and I had to go and get a rack compressor and do that. People will go, what are you talking mm. about? Like, it'll mm. all just be in one chip, right? They'll just go... It'll yeah. be voice controlled. It will, you won't even have to tell it. It'll already yeah. work that out, right? I want this yeah. sound. Yeah. You won't even have to think about it, that brain interface. So I believe we're going yeah. to a place where keyboards won't exist, mice won't exist, trackpads won't exist. The human brain yeah. interface will exist. There's already in the new Oculus Pro coming out, the uh, Cambria that's coming out this year, eye tracking in the VR. Um, there's a whole heap of different things that are starting to evolve into the scene. And... So I wouldn't be worried about it. What I'd be, if I was an artist, and I'm, well, I am, and I'm interested are, in creativity, yeah. I'd be trying to figure out what are, what are the, the parts of music that are more human and how might, I, how might I learn that? Like, for example, what's happening with Dali 2 and Midjourney and all these new art algorithms is there is a new job description already coming up of the people that know how to write text for the AI, and they're called the Keepers. Right. So these keepers, right. it's a new job position, the keepers, these are people that know how to write the right things to create the right art for the right specific thing, rather than just some mm. random mm. art that's spewed out. So these become the mm. conductor, like the conductor of the orchestra, they're the conductor yeah. of AI, you know what I mean? And I think that'll happen yeah. in music as well. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, the, the future is always uncharted territory, but I feel like, AI is such an incredibly uncharted territory for us to navigate 
in the next 50 years. It's going to be fascinating to you, see. You know what? I think look, I'm, all, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Do you know what, all what, what I find fascinating um, from doing a lot of work <laughs> in psychoacoustics and sound frequencies is that mm. most people don't understand that sound is a massive uncharted territory. Right? And yet all these right. people are in music. But they haven't right. gone to understand how music affects someone. What are the sound yeah. frequencies? How might you manipulate sound frequencies to drive human performance? How might you manipulate sound frequencies to to help people with dementia? You know, like just coming up with an algorithm or a sound or a set of tunes or whatever to address, to merge the health and wellness space with the music space is such mm. a massive opportunity. You're talking about yeah. moving into the pharmaceutical industry. You're talking about the healthcare industry is rocketing through the roof. And so, but artists are still, oh, how might I write a song for a game, for a video game? Or how might I write a song mm. for, how might I get more plays on Spotify? It's like, dude, you know, like if, if you really want to try and think about creating value for someone else, why try and do exactly the same as someone else? You know? Uh, mm. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. What should uh, what should people know? And and let's aim this conversation as much as we can at people that have a very very basic understanding. What should people know about the blockchain and and NFTs on a, in, uh, musicians particularly? Okay, so on the most basic level, I want you to think of the blockchain as a train as a train with carriages, and each carriage yeah. is a block. And as they're connected together, that's the chain. And so once you think of the blockchain as purely a notebook where you write something in, it says, I've done this. But when you write something in, it's put in the train carriage and then it's instantly copied to every, every other train carriage, right? So you've got a copy of what you've just done in every other train carriage. Yeah. That's the blockchain. So the blockchain is a number of blocks, carriages around the world that hold records of transactions, mm -hmm. right? And those records of transactions yeah. are, I sold this. But what, not just that you sold it, it's the history of every sale that you've ever done on that particular item. So when you resell mm. it, it's incremented. It's like a logbook for a car, okay? Mm. But as soon as it's recorded, it's then copied to other train carriages. Now, why did that come about? Because in the past, a bank or Visa card or whatever, there would be an intermediary that would hold all that data. Yeah. And they would charge interest and you'd be paying all these fees for that company to do that. And if that yeah. got hacked, you could lose all your money. Yeah. With the blockchain, the value is the people that have got the carriages, you can have loads of them. You, if someone went to hack your transactions on one carriage, it would have, all the other carriages would say that's out of sync, that's a fake transaction. So it actually guarantees yeah. the authenticity of, of the transaction. Now, that might sound yep. a bit strange, but what happens over time is it used to be more costly, but it's getting cheaper and cheaper. It's, it's this ability to, now that you've got that record there, you can do these things called smart contracts. So why that's important yep. is when we get into the NFT space, um, and so for those that don't really understand NFTs, think of it as, you know those baseball caps that you get? that you buy a baseball cap and it's got New York Mets on it. You can buy the baseball yep. cap for two bucks or you can buy the one for 20 bucks that's got the gold seal on it that says I'm the real real baseball cap, the licensed yep. merchandise. Yeah. NFTs are the same song 
but yep. wrapped up with a blockchain address, and the blockchain address is that gold stamp on the hat that says, I'm a real version of it. Yeah. Right? That's yep. in its most basic. You can do other things with it, but that's just you said for basic people, right? Now, what that yes. does is it allows you to go to your fan base and say, I'm going to release 10 versions of this song, which is the real version of this song, not the digital copy you can get on Spotify. And because yeah. you've got that, I'm going to give you something else extra, uh, that a certificate of authenticity or some extra little file or whatever, or a little graphic that, that's attached to the music track that no one yeah. else has got. Um, and that then becomes all wrapped up, which is the, the little badge, this, the serial number um, or the gold stamp, the hat, yeah. and some other little bit of merchandise that's wrapped up in. So it's like a T-shirt with your soundtrack. It's a bit of merchandise. And you can limit how yeah. many of those go out. You can sell it based on that. Then you can also, with a smart contract, mean that if it's ever sold again, you can always make a commission on it. So someone else yeah. can sell it just like on eBay, but every time it's sold, your intellectual property comes back. So what it does for artists is it allows yeah. them to now really take control of their art. In the past, they'd have to have a record company and they'd have to deal with the distros and all that sort of stuff. Not that that yeah. doesn't change because they still have longstanding relationships with major touring, uh, marketing, all that sort of stuff. It gives artists yeah. a new chance to explore new dimensions in how they can create engagement with an audience. Remember that thing I said before is make sure someone leaves with more than you take. Mm. Unfortunately, I find a lot of artists are so, this is my art, man. This is my mm. art. And how come no one will buy my music? And how come, mm. how do I find an audience? So they spend all this money trying to market rather than trying to think, what does my audience want? What research yeah. have I done? Who is my audience? Yeah. How do I align my message with my audience? And how does my art connect with them? Because it could be your music, but you might, if you understand what the audience wants, you might be able to deliver and wrap that in a way that, uh, that, that delivers the audience. So my album, The Code, mm. here's the mm -hmm. problem statement I understood. I've got a very expensive hi-fi system in my house. And yep. um, I go to a store and I go, you go and buy, you know, a really expensive pair of speakers, for example. You go to a high-end hi-fi shop and they put on music, which is jazz or classical music from 50 years ago. Mm. And I go, well, all in high resolution. I go, well, that's great. But um, where's something modern? And they'll play mm. a Die Straits or a Peter Gabriel or a Trevor Horn thing, which is great yeah, from yeah, the yeah, 80s. Yeah. And I go, yeah. where's something yeah. from last year? I don't yeah. have anything. So I, I go, well, here are people with lots of money that are buying really yeah. high-end stuff that have no modern music to listen to, and this is an older yeah. audience who have cashed up. So who's writing music for them? So I, I did yeah. a high-res version of the code. I write this storybook about the hidden codes in it, like the Da Vinci Code. I came up with this concept. I mixed it all, some of the tracks in Resonics with all these frequency things, and that was all part of the story. And look, mm. I did a private launch with my label in Nashville um, and I got about, I made about three times the production cost pre-launch before I even sold it. And, so, and, and my highest version of my album was 110 US dollars. And what that came with mm. though was not just my album and the, cause it came with a film track instead of a soundtrack to yeah. a film. I created a film that supported the music. Yeah. Beside that, I created all the guitar tab files for all the guitarists that want to learn my guitar solos. I created the stems. I nice. created the backing tracks so they could play over it. So they got a whole package for 110 bucks, and they were about half of my sales were those 110 dollar versions of my yeah. album, which no one really knows me. So it was quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that's unreal. I think um, I think NFTs and and the blockchain are 
are really going to revolutionize the way all of this stuff is done. And, and as you said before, take some of the power away from the traditional gatekeepers of the, the big record companies. And I think, Michael, um, though, if, you, if you look at the, the 50,000 songs being added to Spotify every day, yeah, if you look at that yeah. as a story, what artists need to think about is what does the audience want? How can I make sure they yeah. leave with more than I take? What, what is it that they want and how can I target my content? Who is my audience and how do I make sure my, my music resonates with them? And uh, sorry to ask what is a, might seem like a very stupidly basic question, but how do people identify what their, their audience are and what they want? Okay, well, so there's, well, there's a number of different th ways you can do it. One is you, you, a lot of bands have influences that have influenced them in, so it's about, okay, what are, get all the band members, who is your influence, who's your influence, who's your influence, let's put that into a pot. Is that into yeah. a segment? Okay, what, what Facebook groups, what Reddit groups, what blah, 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 blah. How do I find, find that out? They're your marketing channels for people who are already, who are already bought into a style, a genre, a brand, a story, an alignment. So they're your people, they're your tribe to start with. And then it's like, okay, so now I know that they're the people of my influences that might be yep. a part of the bands. So if you look at the influences of all band members and you look at that through a lens yep. of DNA, what is the band's DNA? Yep. The band's DNA is the influences of the band members that are coming together to write the songs. So, okay, yep. what are those channels? And then starting to read what's in those channels. A lot of people don't do that. They just go and post on these channels. What are people yeah. saying? What, am I, what can I learn from that audience? What tours are happening? Yep. Why are they happening? How can I connect over a, what you're doing, Michael? So a, a strategy could be, I'm going to go and build a podcast. I'm going to go and interview all my, all the influences of my band. Then I'm going to build a connection with them. And then when they're going on tour, I'm going to hit them up because now I've got a connection with them to see if I can do a seconds aboard or whatever, you know, because mm. I'm talking to my, there's all sorts of really interesting, clever ways you can use media and yeah. commentary um, to, to make connections and to, to build a fan base or to build a, a connection that will amplify your, your voice to your audience. So, so all the people out there that are thinking, look, I could never uh, get in contact with my influencers, for example. Uh, so let's say me, I'm a massive Radiohead fan. They're my favorite band of all time. Um, I would think, well, there's no way I can just email and, and get Tom York on the podcast. What would you say to that kind of thinking? Okay, so what I would say is, okay... Draw a Monopoly board. And on the start of that Monopoly board, draw you. And on the end of it, draw Tom. And I go, right, what are all the steps that I can figure out? And what are the different ways? Think of it like a labyrinth, a maze. What are the different ways I can get to him? So what interest does he have? Oh, he's into polo. He's into waterboat racing. Okay, which waterboat yeah. racing team is he in? Oh, this waterboat racing team. Who's the manager of that team? This guy's the manager of that team. Okay, what things does he like? Oh, he likes that. Oh, he's part of the Gibson Guitar Collectors Forum. Oh, is he on there? Go on LinkedIn. Yes, he's a member of that. I'm going to join that group. Now I'm connected to a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy who's connected through influence. So then over time, it's the, now I've built a relationship with him. Then you start to say, I've got a podcast and I'm really interested in that. And it's, oh, by the way, I know this guy. So it's, it's thinking strategically. Not how do I go yeah. to the guy? It's it's you've got to build the puzzle. What are the pieces mm. in this puzzle? So artists go, oh, mm. I just want to go on tour with you too, whatever. And they go, 
how do I go on U-Till with U-2? And I go, well, I don't know, but what are the pieces in the puzzle? I go, what do you mean, what's the piece in the puzzle? Who's their touring mm. company? Who's their label? Yeah. What people in your network, how far is your, your connections to? Go on LinkedIn. Yeah. Go and build a profile on LinkedIn. Go and join some groups. You'll see your second, third, fourth relationship to that person. Yeah. You'll start to work yeah. out different ways and maps to get to them. If you're clever and ingenious, these are just human beings. But they don't want to be shielded from people, big fans coming up to them all the time asking them for things. But they've got people around them that trust them. Look, I've got so many friends yeah. that are big movie stars and rock stars. And people go, how do you know this person? And how do I know that person? And I, those people have always been through someone else introduced me. I never went up to them mm. and said, hey, can I be your friend? So it's the, mm. how might you, so it's thinking strategically. And mm. you're normally only three or four degrees separation from anyone, really. What do they call yeah, it? Seven degrees yeah. separation to Kevin Bacon. But it's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's quite, yeah. quite fascinating. And the more you dig in, the more you learn, it, it is a strategy. It's not as simple as yeah. I just want that. You don't just go, I just want a Lamborghini and wait there and one's going to turn up. You've got to think about, well, how do I get my Lamborghini? Oh, I need to yeah, do that. Yeah. And that leads to that. You've got to think the same thing. So it, it, all of that, that's, I, I love everything about what you just said there. Um, all of the artists that put so much of their, their themselves into creation of their music and, and the recording of it, then they get to the final hurdle, which is releasing it and trying to get it to resonate with as many people as they can. They kind of just go, ah, fuck it. I put it up on Facebook. I did a post once. Nothing happened. Um, a lot of people struggle to find that desire to do the strategic stuff. Um, and so I think what you just said could actually really help a bunch of people, including me. I mean, I, I love I love everything that you just said there. Well, I'll give you an example. Like if I if I um, if I said to you. Michael, who is your number one go-to guy at CAA in, in Hollywood? You probably wouldn't have an answer. No. And I go, well, do you know who CAA is? And you, you might have an answer. And you go, well, no. Well, creative artist agency. So they handle some of the biggest artists in the world. So why don't they no. know about you? Um, you know, and, oh, I could never go to them. Okay, well, why not? You know, it's the... You need someone mm. to help you. It's it's all great blockchain and it's all great all this stuff, but you've only got limited yeah. capacity yourself, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can't just expect to know everything about everything, right? You can't, yeah. you know, like people go, oh, I need to know this and, and artists these days need to know everything. And in some respects, <coughs> it's great if you know everything, but it's even better if you know how to strategically and critically think. Because if yeah. you know how to yeah. provide value... You could go to someone who's the best of the best and go, hey, if you work with me, this is the value I'm going to create for you. Artists mm. don't do that a mm. lot of times. They go, here's my tracks, man. They're really awesome. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And that's the same yeah. conversation everyone's having. They don't, go, they don't go to them going, hey, I've seen what you do and I think I can add value to you. They never start the conversation yeah. like that. They go, what do you think of my band, yeah. man? It's like yeah. it's a totally different sort of conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to learn that lesson right this second. And I'm going to ask you, is there anyone that you know that you think would enjoy talking on this podcast that you would reach out to on my behalf to see if they would be a guest? 
Um, potentially, but I'd need to ask you a bunch of questions before I do. Yes, it doesn't have to be now. Yeah, I'm going to throw that. I'm going to throw that out there. Yeah. So yeah, the answer is always yes. I'm always down to help, but I'm only down to help once I know what what your what success looks like to you. Who yeah. are the types of people you're trying to connect to? Because what I need to do is when I connect to someone else, because I care about adding value to them, just as I care about adding yes. value to you. I need to wrap your request in a, and this is an important lesson for everyone listening to this. I need to wrap your request in a language that sounds like I'm providing value to them, that it's not a request from you. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, it, 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 you've said so many things that are going to absolutely become part of my DNA moving forward. Um, and I just, well, I guys, thank you enough. I, I, to the audience, I t- say this. I'm an, an old, over 50s, fuddy-duddy musician dude, crazy mind, entrepreneur, innovator type dude. I've struggled a lot of my life to get cut through um, and just as a lot of people do. And so the lessons I'm telling you are from battle scars of many years and, and yeah. through my method of trying to make things simple. What I tell you, I've got no vested interest in telling you the wrong info. Uh, you know, it's so you take it or leave it. Of but course. I think that what I'm trying to say is for, for the audience, not just for you, Michael, it's just I think there's some some things in there if, that it's you can go work really, really hard. My thing to you is if you're swimming against a stream and you're finding it's really hard, stop and try a different approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think that's fantastic advice. Do you ever suffer from uh, real crippling self-doubt? Not really, um, because that's good. Uh, and the reason why is it's like, I think a long time ago, look, I've been criticized all my life. Ah, oh, look, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. How could you build a tech company? You don't know this. So I realized that I'm not living my life for anyone else. I try and add value. I try and never hurt anyone, but I've also mm. got to, I can only impact the world if I can only start from a place where I'm strong. So, yeah. you know, I don't, you know, I take on board what people say when they're people that are very close to me who don't have a vested interest in telling me, you know. So, look, the self-doubt I have is like, look, I've got a short life to live. I'm going to make the most of it. I could sit around waiting for validation from someone else or I could just keep pushing. And for me, it's just Mm. I'll just keep pushing and I'll push and push until I find my tribe. 90% of people I talk to are going to think I'm crazy, I'm an idiot, but that's okay. They don't resonate with me. I've got to find the resonance of people. There is a tribe for me out there mm. and yes. most of the people aren't my tribe and that's okay. It's not a criticism of them. It's more that, yes. but I'm not going to change my tribe to try and suit someone else's tribe. And so I can't have self-doubt yeah. because my self-doubt is normally because I'm trying to get approval or validation from someone who's not in my tribe. Yeah, that's fantastic. Do you, do you have a sense that you're, best work is ahead of you? It's sort of, it's a really good question because I don't know. Like I don't, everything I do, I do to insanity. Like my last album took me five years to create, right? So um, I, I don't know because I, I I always try and do, make everything I do my best work. So um, absolutely. um, I don't, I'm very, I'm, I'm very much a perfectionist, but I'm also a commercial perfectionist. So I know that at a certain point in time, I've just got to get something done. So I'm really good under pressure. 
this has to be done tomorrow. If I don't put myself under pressure, like, I'll give you an example. When I was doing my album, yeah. it was about four and a half years. And then my label in Nashville, I just got my label. And they go, right, your album has to be out by Thanksgiving. And I went, yeah. cool, no worries. Hung up the phone and I looked on the calendar, when's Thanksgiving? And it was three weeks. Right? And I've been working on this for four and a half years. And I went, oh, shit. I what, just basically what did stage it was it at right? at this point? What, and it was, look, what stage it was, was it at? A lot of the songs were that nothing was mixed. Songs were still not oh, really wow. finished. Nothing, right? And it was very, yeah. like my songs, some of my songs have over a hundred tracks of information in them, right? Very complicated yeah. mixes. Well, the stuff going on, yeah. like I've got words to the song where I've transcribed the words to Morse code, rhythm guitars playing the words in Morse code on certain tracks. I've got animal prints in DNA that I've mapped as each sequences. There's all this really complicated stuff, right? So I've yeah. gone into it, but I finished the album in three weeks because I had a deadline. Um, and so I'm good under pressure, yeah. but if it leaves, if you leave it to me, it's sort of, I can, I can be too much of a perfectionist. So I've learned myself that, you know, um, it, you know, my best work is, is a combination of me allowing me to be the perfectionist, but also having some constraints commercially about f normally from yes. someone else saying this has to be done by a certain date. And, and it's funny, no matter how hard you try, it's really hard to impose your own deadlines on yourself. It, 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 it generally needs that. And I, I find deadlines uh, such a complex thing because on one hand, I find them really unhelpful. And on the other hand, I find them really motivating and helpful. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm constantly juggling up. And it, I suppose I've had an obsession recently with duality and the duality of, of almost everything in life that... That, uh, I don't know about you, Michael, but I've always found that what I found fascinating is this is why I know I'll never be commercially anything with my music is because it's, it's not where I'm focused. But secondly, it's that mm. I do something really what I think is stupid, like I not well, not stupid, but I did one of the things I've sold the most of with my music was when I created for Holden Special Vehicles, a track of just car revving noises. And that was the track. There was nothing else in the track except car revving noises. Right. Yeah, and yeah. it was like it was huge, and I'm like, and yet. I Hold on, did you, did you on guitar or how? No, how just a sampler, make... right? So I was, I had an advertising agency. We had Holden Special Vehicles. They wanted a track for all their yeah. fans, so I got on my sampler, my emulator at the time, and I'm going, rum, rum, dun, rum, 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 and that was the track, right? <laughs> it was. It took me about two seconds to write, right? And it was, like, <laughs> it was a huge hit, and I'm like going. Oh my God, right? <laughs> I'll be writing these complex chord changes and light and shade and trying to yeah, drive this yeah, next yeah, to here yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, <coughs> So at the end of the day, it, it, it's what resonates with people and yeah. we're, we're, we're a complex species and a pretty amazing species. I remember hearing a, um, an anthropologist say once that human beings are actually really incredibly remarkable and the fact that we... The fact that we can get together in very large cities of millions and millions of people and generally everything's fine. We're not, we're not stealing from each other left, right and centre. We're not, you know, we, we are genuinely good. We, we genuinely look after each other on very large community scales. And, and he said there's probably no other animals in the in the natural world that would do what we do and cooperate on the scale that we do. And one of the things he said is put two chimps in a room and they'll kill each other, you know, within five minutes. But humans, somehow we, we follow not only written rules, but just 
millions of unwritten rules of how we should all just be good to each other. And I, I'm a big fan of human beings. How about you? Mate, absolutely. I sort of, uh, I, I live between two worlds. I live very comfortably being an introvert and I love very comfortably being an extrovert. I'm no good in the middle. So I'm no good at normal. So I'm, I'm a volcano and, you know, a, a Buddhist temple. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I, I, I love that, but I, I love mixing with people. But at the same time, I love going inside, inside myself. So it's like, but, and this yeah. is where that gets that AI conversation. It's that, you know, I can go and pull up ozone or something and just go master my track. Or yeah. I can play around with, you know, all my really good tools and my gear and get it the way I want. And both give me a great result. And, it, yeah. and they both do a different type of job because I get a different type yes. of satisfaction out of them. One is press a button, done, yeah. give it to a client. And so I don't think that AI is going to replace everything. Um, I, think, um, I think humankind, I think what personally, I think what's going to happen, um, and I'm seeing this basically after COVID, is people are going to want to connect more. They're going to want to be friends more. They're going to want to collaborate more purely because there's more mm. AI around. Um, and I think people are going to discover more human wow. characteristics. And I think it's going to be beautiful for the world. So um, mm. because people are going to value and treasure these things that we've taken for granted. And I think that value mm. and treasure of these human principles is going to turn into something really beautiful. Hmm. That's what I, I think. I, I, hope, I hope you're right. I remember, I remember when social media first exploded around, you know, 2010-ish. And... I remember thinking, this is going to bring everyone together. We're all going to see, that no matter where we live in the world, that we have common fears and common loves, and and it's really going to shrink the world, and and it's it's going to be a really good thing for humanity. And you know, on many levels, it has been, but geez, it's been very, very fracturing. And uh, so, I got that one wrong, I reckon. I didn't picture oh, I how I, fucked it would be. At well, the same I don't know. Time, if you look at my, a lot of my social media, I, I use social media because I've got connections all over the world. I make one post. They know what I'm doing. But also my posts, yeah. I don't criticize people in my posts. I don't talk yeah. about politics in my posts. I try and make yeah. sure my posts inspire people. I try and yes. make my, space, my posts educate people. So yeah. I'm, I'm very conscious about what I put on social media. Um, I also know the algorithms in the back end that are building my own profile about who I am and selling that data to to data harvesting houses um, have built a profile about me, which is the type of profile I want them to build about me. So I'm about, mm. I live my, make sure people leave with more than you take. I don't sit around and complain mm. about some politician or the death yeah. of someone. Or I celebrate life. I celebrate, you know, innovation and creativity and what it does, it helps me have a positive attitude. If I had a negative attitude, I would keep burying myself and I'd be working from a negative headspace. And I found in my life, being in a negative headspace, opportunities pass you by. When you are positive, mm. things come to you. Mm. That is, that's absolutely beautiful. Uh, I, I feel like I, I, don't, I, I can't possibly imagine how I could have given you more than I've taken from this conversation uh, because I've taken so much from this. And, and 
that's something I'm going to really focus on moving forward. It, and I think I do that inherently anyway, but it's always good to be able to label something and, and have a, there are so many things that you've been doing your whole life and you don't realize until someone puts it in a box and 100%. explains it. And, and Michael, um, it's, it's, you don't have to achieve it. You just have to try to achieve it. Yes. By you trying yes. to achieve, having the intent, it'll change. Yes. Trust me when I tell you. Like, like, I, again, I've got yeah. no vested interest in telling you anything that's a lie. I believe. By, by I doing believe that, you. you're going to have a much more positive attitude, more opportunities, more deals, more stuff, more networks. <clears throat> you'll, you'll have the most amazing life if you're positive and open. The more you spread and propagate stuff about, you know, how I hate this and how I hate that, you'll find that you just yeah. it's 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 not it's not productive for your own life and it's not productive for those around you. So just the yeah. intent of trying to have that as a mantra will absolutely help amplify the your own life. Yeah, absolutely. My friend, we could probably cool. talk yep. for many many hours and I I hope we do talk again for many hours because I've really loved your insights into all of this stuff and it, I just thank you so much. It's been amazing. No worries. Well, look, if anyone if anyone's interested, you know, they can check me out on LinkedIn, on Facebook. I've got a YouTube channel, which has got a whole bunch of cool. Uh, it's, I've got a lot of lessons for artists on how to learn design thinking, uh, stuff about sound frequencies. There's a whole bunch of stuff on there. I've got great interviews with my friend Ross Robinson, who produced Corn Slipknot, Link Biscuit, all of these bands. I've got lots of different people on my channel as well. So <clears throat> get there if you're interested. And yeah. We'll keep connecting. And your new and 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 your music on on all the streaming services just being launched uh, yesterday on Spotify and Apple Music. Yeah. Um, so look up for yeah, Finbar and um, yeah, let let it take you on a journey. Uh, look, I'll put some links up uh, in the description. Thanks, buddy. Uh, below below here, whatever that is, <laughs> and uh, and I I'm sure that people will have got so much out of this podcast. Thank you so much, my friend. It's Pleasure, mate. Thank you. A, a joy, an honor, and a humbling lesson. It's been beautiful. <laughs> Likewise, mate. And you did give me more than I take, so that you, you did a good job. <laughs> Thank you, mate. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Well done, mate. That was fucking great.